0: Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au.
1: Good afternoon. As you know, my name's Alex Jones, and so welcome to today's Equity Foundation live stream. Um, I've got today, I've got the very great pleasure in introducing our special guest, Kim Jackson. Before we commence, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora nations and pay my respects to all the traditional owners of country and all throughout our country and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. And that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And we pay our respects to elders past, present and future. I want to take a minute to thank the equity foundation's principal sponsor media super media super has supported the foundation since our beginning in the early 2000s. They are your industry super fund and they can help you with your superannuation and provide you with financial advice. If you don't have any contact details, please let me know and I can give you the relevant details. There'll be time for questions towards the end of today's conversation. And Kim has also very kindly offered to stay on a bit, a little bit longer to answer any questions. So, um, I mean, we understand people have to leave, but um, she has got the flexibility to stay a little bit longer. So thank you to all and please welcome Kim Jackson.
2: Hey guys, thank you so much for joining. Um, I'm going to get straight into it because we've got a lot of stuff to cover and uh, I'm going to just do a little bit of this lovely little screen share thing here. Good. All right. Groovy. So... Let's get into it. Um, So first of all, hello, I am Kim Jackson. I go through this at the beginning of every seminar and I always will because I always wanna make sure you guys know who you're listening to. So many people share advice in Hollywood. Um, so make sure that, I, I hope that you Googled me before you decided to sign up for the seminar. I hope that anytime anyone gives you advice on anything, you either look them up and, and the biggest question is, you know, do they seem like someone who has experience in the field? Do they seem like someone who knows more than you or has a career that is maybe where you would wanna be? It doesn't have to be in five or 10 years time, but if, if in a year's time, you be happy having their you know their resume or or having some kind of um you know, movement in your career in the direction of where they're at, um, then maybe it's someone you should listen to. If it's a random person in acting class giving you advice and they don't have any credits, they might not be the person to listen to for advice. So um, they uh, basically just make sure that there is proof that people have some degree of experience in the field. Um, This is me. I am an actress. I have been in the 60 Films and TV series. Um, It's my day job. It is what I do professionally, and um, I am also an author and a coach. I've mentored over 100 actors. I spent five years writing this textbook. So, yeah, I would definitely not recommend writing a textbook because it takes a great deal of time and energy, but I would definitely recommend reading this textbook because I put a great deal of time and energy into it. Um, I work with SAG AFTRA, the um, sister union of the MEAA in America. I'm a convention delegate for them, which means I pitch things towards the board to suggest that they. Um, Uh, you know, work on in the following year, I represent the membership or a portion of the membership as a voting member in the um, convention portion of the union. Uh, And I'm a conservatory board member. I'm also the head of the mindset department at the conservatory um, on the board. I'm also a speaker and instructor. I I speak for live groups in America, usually really, really really big rooms of of heaps of actors and it's it's lots of fun and good times. I'm also the co-founder of the Secret Actor Society, um, which is over 3000 coaching videos for actors. Um, As I was coaching, I realized a lot of the questions were the same um, coming from a lot of the people that came in And I thought, well, if I could answer all those questions before people paid a fortune to come coach with me, then they'd be able to spend their coaching time on the more high level questions. And so we asked the um, 2000-ish most commonly asked um, acting career questions, and we asked them of not just me, but other people. So another expert might have a different opinion to me. I don't want anyone taking my opinion as gospel because even though I have experience in the field, everything that I share with you is based on my, my circumstances and And my advice and um, you know my experience is vastly different to some of the other experts. Um, For instance I love casting workshops, I think they're one of the best things you can possibly do for your career Um, and some some of our other experts don't like them. They think that, uh, that meeting casting directors should be free. I think that's a pipe dream, but I love putting my answer next to theirs so that the actors, so you guys can listen to both and take what actually resonates with you. um, And that way you're not just trusting one person as being like this all-knowing person that you're just going to take all your advice from them. Um, So anyway, if you do want to join, you get the first two months free with the code FREE. 60 and you can just watch through all the videos and um, uh, There's a ton of casting directors on there, too. So this class is called audition mastery It's part of the secret actor society journey We don't have time to go through all the what all the modules are in the journey But this is level five and this is a 90 minute version of what's probably in full length about a four-hour course um, so audition mastery um, auditions are a huge part of our career um, and uh, but, but but it's actually its own art form. You know, obviously it's very different. The reality is you can be a great actor and a terrible auditioner and you can be actually an average actor and a great auditioner, which is where people get tricked into casting the wrong actors. But um, knowing how to audition well and fall in love with auditioning will serve you throughout your career. So that's what I'm hoping to share with you today. The professional actors don't procrastinate. So I remember sitting with um, a bunch of working actors at a movie and we just sat down You know, we'd all arrived at the movie theater and about five minutes into the movie, one of the actors got up and left. And I was just like, oh, what's going on? Uh, You know, where are they going? Are they okay? Oh, they got an audition. And it's just such a natural thing for us, especially in LA, You, you, you need to be willing to drop your world for an audition if you can so obviously you don't want to miss your sister's wedding but if it's something where you're able to you know when you get a big theatrical audition you need to know that there's going to be an actor out there like me who doesn't have a day job who will cancel all of her friends plan all of my friends plans with my friends and I will work on that script every second until I to the audition, uh, you know, with the exclusion of naps and taking breaks and and giving myself time to relax and process. So if you've got stuff in your schedule that will interfere with you doing the best you can in your audition, you need to cancel everything you're able to cancel. And if it's a huge audition, if it's like a studio film audition, that might mean cancelling a shift at work if you can, just to make sure that you give yourself the best possible chance of nailing it. Because the reality is these opportunities, every time we have an audition, there's a hundred a hundred other people who who would have been absolutely perfect for the role. And there's thousands of other people who couldn't get into the audition room and who might have been able to do a really amazing job. So for us, we need to know that every audition is like a miracle and a gift. And so it needs to be taken seriously. And I will tell you right now, it is very, very rare that I walk into an audition room not knowing all of my lines, not knowing the character and not having done hours and hours and hours of work on it. Um, every opportunity can change your life. It is this is huge business, it's huge money. Um, and, uh, you know, my thing is I run the line 60 times or more. I, by the time I go into an audition room, it's muscle memory. I know the scenes backwards and I just, I don't want anyone to get the impression. Cause I know sometimes when I'm working on an audition, I used to think, oh God, like it's so much time. Like it's, you know, like it just it always felt like I felt stupid. Like I felt like I was being tricked into doing something for free and, um, Like, oh yeah, whatever. Like, I'll just, you know, I can know it well enough. But the reality is, you know, when I started getting to the point that I treated an audition like the most important thing in the world, like I was gonna do an audition for Spielberg or like I was shooting a film with Spielberg, then I, I really started booking a lot more work. And I realized that's what the professional actors are doing. They're at the point where it is They just know the scene, they become the character and that's what they're walking into the room doing. So when someone, you know, I see actors sometimes saying, do we really need to be off book for this? It's three whole pages. It's like, what are you talking about? So let's go into learning lines. I want to share with you guys just a little... Uh, the, the methods that I use and these are my methods they may not suit you but this is what I use and I think these are these are things that I've borrowed from different acting teachers and and people who really know what they're doing and professional actors in the industry who've coached me over the years and and I think that these are just some really nice basic framework principles to follow um, and methods to follow. So the second you get the audition, print your sides immediately. Cause if it's in your phone, or if it's in your email, oh, I've got an audition. Yeah, an audition just came through. I'll get to it when I can. It it tends to sit and a lot of the time we end up waiting like especially if it's one thing if it's the next day because you know most of us go into a mad panic if it's the next day and start working on it immediately but if it's in two or three days oftentimes we may leave it and not print it and not work on it till that evening or whatever but the reality is the more time you can work on it the more you it will just be there as muscle memory and the more it will become something that you're excited to share with casting rather than scared to go in and do the audition. I remember uh, when I was like 20, I was a bartender down in Sydney and, or 21 maybe I was a bartender down in Sydney. And the first bar I worked in, I was really bad at it. And I was always like, I hated it when the manager came around because I didn't want them to see like me stuffing up or like uh, giving away free drinks or whatever. And so I would always hate it like, oh, the boss is here. And then it's funny because I ended up moving to another bar and I got really good at it and I was really proud of it. I was like, look how fast I can make all these drinks. And I would be excited when the manager came in because I'd be like, yeah, I can see how good I am. This is amazing. And I feel like that's the difference for me going into an audition where I'm fully prepared because I feel like I'm like, I can't wait to get in there because I just want to show them and just be like, this is how it's done. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to rock this. And so it's a totally different feeling to that feeling that you get where you're like 95% off book. You know it, but the words just aren't 100% on the tip of your tongue. They don't just flow out. And the the difference between being 95% prepared and 100% prepared 95% and 95% off book and 100% off book it's just like it's worlds away for me it's the difference between nerves and excitement um which are essentially the same thing anyway but um I just think the the, the faster you can start learning the lines the better so just print the sides immediately once you do that it, br- it brings the audition into real life and then pretend the audition is due the next morning no matter when it's due highlight like your lines immediately while you're reading the scene aloud so the first thing I do print the sides, highlight my lines. As I'm highlighting them, I read the scene aloud, including all the stage direction. I think that's really important. Oftentimes something else will come up. So the sooner you can start doing this, the better. Record the other characters' lines in your phone. Now there's an app called Rehearsal that's really, really good for um, people who, uh, you know, for just learning lines and working on, um, uh, I think it allows you to like highlight the other characters' lines, record them, leave a gap. I um, personally use the voice memos app on my phone. Um, I, You just hit record, you say your line in your mind. So uh, basically you say it at a normal speaking pace, but in your mind, and then leave about a two second pause, which gives you time for that moment where it might take you to remember the lines or the pause that it would naturally occur if you were doing it with another actor and then say the other character's lines aloud into your phone and then do the same thing where you say your line in your mind, leave a two second pause. And usually that gives you enough space to then later on be able to use those gaps to run your lines with your phone. I think straight away, it's important to request the full script. Obviously for a TV series, they won't share the episode script usually, but for a feature film, they, uh, they'll they usually share it if it's not a high security project. And also with TV pilots, they'll usually have a screenplay available to share. So a pilots very different from a TV episode because they're less concerned about it getting out because a pilot tends to be less high security because it hasn't actually been made. It doesn't have an existing fan base unless it's like Marvel or DC or something like that. Um, a good phrasing, don't, don't like say, you know, don't say anything rough, just, hey, thanks. You know, is the script available? I'd love to read the script if possible um do that immediately because then there might be a little bit of a delay um between when you send that email and when you get the script so you want to do it straight away just so you can get the script as soon as possible um there's a lot of reasons to get the script you need to figure out the tone of the piece the style the pacing things like that i think a top priority that actors you know sometimes we forget about that stuff is um drinking water straight away like the second you get an audition Drink a big glass of water, take a multivitamin, um, make sure that you don't have anything super heavy because it's going to put you into brain fog exhaustion. Eat light meals, berries, salad, all that stuff until you know your lines. And um, the other thing is get moving, like make sure that you have blood circulating through your body, so moving through your brain. Make sure there's, I like to go for a walk, put my headphones in. Have my phone, you know, to run the lines with and have the script in my hand and just go and walk. I usually do it with my dog for about two or three hours the second I get an audition, which means, you know, three hours after an audition has arrived in my inbox, I've usually run the lines. you know, for about two or three hours solid, which means I'll tend to hopefully be off book by the time I come back from that walk. Chunks come first. So for me, look, I think um, we have a tendency often to just start running the scene. And the reality is um, the, the the big chunks of dialogue that you come up on the monologues, um, they'll be this mental block that just kind of sits there and gets in the way. And it's it's a really frustrating thing trying to figure out you, you do the whole scene and then you're dreading this monologue, this chunk. And so I think it's important to just start with the chunk to just immediately start doing it. And you're doing it not for performance, but for muscle memory. So if you imagine that every line that the character says is the product of a thought that they have. But if I have the same thought as the character, I use a different vernacular to most of the characters that I play. So if I have the same thought as the character, it's gonna come out in different words if it comes out of my mouth. So for me to have the thought as the character and for the words of the character to come out, I need to have that in my muscle memory. My tongue needs to learn to say this word after that word, after that word, because for the majority of the things that I say, I might've said that portion of a sentence before. Those 10 words, I might've said them before. So that just flows off my tongue. But if I've never said a sequence of words before, I need to teach my mouth how to say it like it's nothing. It's kind of like Shakespeare where it doesn't really matter what you're saying, it's the thought behind it but you need to know what you're saying so that, you, so that it just flows. Your, your muscles need to know how to say it. And so um, start with the monologues straight away, just so that your mouth gets used to saying each of those words after one another. Start with the monologues and any dialogue with more than three sentences. I think those are all the chunks and I think they're really, really important. Um, this is my monologue method. It's a tricky, weirdy one, but it will make a lot more sense uh, once you've done it a couple of times. Um, Repeat line one of the monologue until you have it. Um, Repeat lines one and two until you have them. Uh, One, two, and three until you have them. Repeat lines one, two, three, and four until you have them. And then it gets to be a too big of a chunk, again, for your brain to kind of do all at once. So then line four becomes your first line and you start a new chunk. So then you do line four and five until you have them four and six until you have them, four and seven until you have them. So you're doing chunks, but you've got one line that overlaps. So if you see line four was in at the end of chunk one, it was also at the beginning of chunk two. So that's your link between the first chunk and the second chunk. And then if it's four to five line chunks continue, just always making sure you overlap the last line of the previous chunk with the first line of the next chunk. And so then you can get through the entire monologue just with repetition. It's just repetition, repetition, repetition. I don't think you should push your brain past where it makes you want to punch yourself in the face. So once you get bored or you can't handle it anymore, you don't want to do it anymore, that's when you start running the scene. So that's when your brain just goes, I can't take any more of this chunk. I need to go to running the scene. So run the whole scene. So then you go to the whole scene Run the whole scene with your phone while walking or pacing. Um, use a neutral energy or tone. Don't try to memorize, but do start looking away from the page talking while you, when you can. So that's going to naturally happen while you're walking anyway. If you, uh, you know, you don't want to trip over. So your brain's going to go, I need to be looking at the road. The, the quicker I can get these words into my brain, the less I'll be distracted from walking. And so your brain will want to to start remembering the words a little bit if you've gone for this epic blood flow energy inducing walk while you're running your lines um, run the whole scene at least 12 times um, and the really cool way to do it is to um i always liked this is just to put you put a circle three circles at the bottom of the, scr- the script somewhere on the back of one of the pages and then you just every time you run the scene once you put a line through it And then just keep doing that until you've made at least three pizzas. Um, which isn't good because that means you'll really want to eat some carbs while you're running it, your lines, which you shouldn't be doing because it'll to stop your brain from working. But um, it just gives you an opportunity to see how many times you've run the lines. It gives you like a weird sense of satisfaction, but don't worry at this point about really memorizing. It's just, again, it's muscle memory. You want your mouth to start getting used to saying the words over and over and over again. Um, the pizzas just help you know how many times you've run the scene. Now, like I said, I run each scene about 60 times, but I just think a minimum of 12 just for your first set. And then keep going as long as you can after that. Once you get bored of running the full scene, go back to do your chunks, memorizing your chunks. So then go back to the monologues, do your four lines at a time, run the whole scene one or two more times if you can. And as soon as your brain gets exhausted and just says, I don't want to run this effing scene again, you can either try taking a little five minute break and then coming back to it, or If you get to a point where you really don't want to run it anymore, that's when you stop. And you don't just stop for like 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever. That's when you need to take a proper break. Um, That point will happen much later if you're hydrated and walking, but that's when you really need to step away. So take a break for at least an hour, a 90 minute nap if you can. As it turns out, um, if you, okay, so if you imagine like, Every time we sleep the, this whole little team of dudes and chicks comes into our brain And they clear out stuff that we're not using anymore. So like the memory of I, I don't know things that we don't the information in our brain that we don't use anymore um, Probably a lot of high school math gets removed those bits of our brain the bits of, of stuff Like the, the junk that we don't use as much those neural pathways get cleaned out And the neural pathways that are important, that are highlighted as important, get strengthened. And this happens only when we enter REM sleep. And so if we can get ourselves to nap for 90 minutes, 90 minute nap, uh, 90 minutes to two hours, depending on your REM cycle, but 90 minutes to two hours, puts you into a deep enough mode of sleep that your brain can go in, your little dudes can go in and they will rebuild the neural pathways that that link your memory to the words that you've just learned. And it makes the words, if you've ever noticed that you know your lines a little bit better when you wake up in the morning after you've been running them at night, or if, after you've been running them the previous day, it's because you've actually had a team go in and strengthen the neural pathways that, that lead to where those, those words are saved in your brain. If you can't nap, just obviously just relax, chill out, maybe get started on some of the, the stuff we're about to talk talk about. Um, but yeah, new research from the University of Notre Dame shows that going to sleep shortly after learning new material is most beneficial for recall. So um, I think it's really important. And this is some of the stuff you can work on if for some reason you can't nap or you take your nap and you wake up you don't really feel like running your lines again. Start watching some of the previous work of the director and the writer, even just the trailers. Um, if it's a TV show, you might want to watch previous episodes of the show, but you want to re- understand the tone of the piece because it's important to fit in with the world that they've created. It might be that all of the actors talk quite slowly um, in a very thought out way and have big gaps between their lines of dialogue and and it's very pensive and thinking. It might be a bit more, um, You know, Aaron Sorkin, where they're on top of each other, they speak very quickly but very clearly and it's, um, you know, a very, very fast-paced piece. You need to know that. You're not going to know it until you look at either the previous work of the director or other episodes of the show. If it's a director's session, I think it's important to go through and look at interviews that they've done in the media. It's going to help you get to know their names and their personalities. Read the FYI pages, these crossed-out pages. The crossed-out pages between your sides, in your sides, um, between scenes. So basically a lot of the time it'll be scene one and then they'll, they might leave a page or two in there that are crossed out as FYI. That can be really helpful if you don't get a copy of the script. Um, something else you can also do is get the other characters audition scenes. In America that's really easy to do um, because uh, they're all posted on Sides Express or Showfax, and you'll be able to pull the other character sides to get a bit more information on the project. But usually they're going to, they'll probably share the script with you anyway, so it's not a big deal. But read those FYI pages. They're really, really important. And hopefully, if you can get the script, read the script. If you've got a couple of hours, then read the whole script. If you've only got an hour or so, scan the script. You just, you know, kind of, oh, okay, cool. Just get a feel for what's going on. Um, if you've only got 30 minutes, maybe you just read up to where your scene comes in or where your character comes into the script. Um, or if you only have a little bit of time, search your character's name and only read the scenes that you're in because you might have two audition scenes but your character might have four or five scenes in the whole project and you can learn a lot from just looking at other scenes or scenes where people reference your character so if you search character's name in the pdf then um, you'll be able to check out and just sort of see what happens in their storyline. Character research. List everything you know about the character so just write out everything you know, are they defensive? Are they awesome? Are they friendly? Do they have, um, you know, anything you can think of? Do they have a girlfriend, boyfriend? What, how are they interconnected with all the other characters in the project? There's a, there's a really cool thing um, that I, uh, I, I really kind of enjoy doing. I'll show you how to do. It's like you put your character in the middle and then you put another character here Another character here and then you sort of write along here what your character thinks of the other character sort of thing. And it's like, okay, well, this is how this character's connected. It's like a little character web. And you can figure out how they're connected to all the different people, all the different characters in the project. Could even just be a thing. It could be how do they feel about Thing, global warming, or how do they feel about this company that that they're talking about? Um, it helps inform the very subtle choices that come out as you're talking about different things. You might mention someone's name, and if there's a distaste in your mouth, then you don't have to think, "Oh, I'm gonna say that like I hate them," because you just already know that you don't like them, and it's going to naturally come out that way without being forced and pushed. Because that's the big thing you want to do. You don't want to push. Um, the biggest thing with obviously with acting is there's this, there's two ways you can go. One is you can be scared of overacting and you can do nothing and that's boring. Or you are so scared of being boring that you want to show off your amazing acting talent and then you end up pushing on every line. And so it's this constant challenge of straddling like you know, uh, underacting, I guess, and or or lazy acting or or fearful acting and then overacting where you're pushing and you're trying to show emotion where emotion doesn't need to be there. And I think that really comes from the better, you know, the character, the more organic, the more you can trust yourself with it and the more organically the performances will come out. I love this exercise from Joseph Perlman. I am one who, uh, which is just like uh, you, you get into character and then you just say, I am one who shares information. I am one who is strong. I am one who cares about people. I am one who, and you just sort of carry on with that. And then you do the scene. And after about two or three minutes of I am one who, I am one who, I am one who, you really start feeling it in like your bones for the character. And it's just such a beautiful exercise. I really love doing it. Who was I? Uh, So this is one of my things that I love doing. I had to play a character once in a scary movie where I was like uh, part of a gang and the guys in the gang were raping this chick in a wheelchair. It was like the first paid film I had in Hollywood and it was really scary and and I was just like, this is so far from who I am. How could I possibly... And you can never think that your character's the bad guy, right? Because every character always thinks that they're justified. So even if they know that they're the bad guy, which they might, they, they they need to feel that they're right, you know, in what they're doing or that they're at least they can justify it. If they know, you know, they might know that they're doing the wrong thing, but they've got a very, very good reason for it. And so... I, you know, I had to go back and figure out, well, why on earth would a girl be, you know, okay with these terrible things, these guys breaking into this girl's house, these girls house. And, you know, I've kind of built this character around, like, you know, I had to go back and I went back to the memories of when When my character was like nine years old and she's like getting gang raped by the whole gang that she's there with, the same guys. But she, you know, she's kind of had this terrible upbringing and terrible childhood. And she looks at these girls and they're just so like they're rich and they're like, you know just these my at the time I had red hair and they're like these you know pretty blonde girls and their lives are perfect and like basically I just wanted to show them what I'd been through and and so that they would know like you know, what, what the real world was like and blah, 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 and like teach them a lesson sort of thing. And so I had, you know, the only way I could get to that mindset was by going back and seeing what my character's past was like. And so I think it can be really useful to close your eyes as the character and become your character at age four, and then look around where am I, who's here, what's happening? How do I feel? Kind of what's going on, and and what happens to me at that age. And if you've done a little bit of thinking about your character, usually the answers will come to you. It'll be like, okay, well, I'm in a room with the kitchen with my parents. You know, everyone seems happy, everything seems good. But then my dad's kind of come in, and he's like talking about money and and how you know, God, you've got to be a con artist to earn good money. And all of a sudden, that's maybe where my character ended up being someone who you know, tricks people at the races or whatever it is. Um, And then, you know, what happened when I was 7 to 10 years old, 13, 16, 20, like pick a bunch of ages um, in your character's formative years or in their history where they're experiencing different things that change them or build them as a person and make them someone who does things in a different way maybe than you do um, so that you're not sitting there going, well, I would never do this. I don't see how my character should do this, but I'm just going to act it anyway. You need to get to a point where you are so empathetic with your character and so connected with them that you know what your, um, you know, who they are and, and what they're doing and why and and all that jazz. So um, yeah, that's that. Um, I, I really love that exercise. I think it's a really important one to do. So spend a little bit of time learning who your character was. How do I sound and move? So, you know, I do character acting. Um, They never dye my hair, which I wish they would. But, uh, so other than the fact that my hair almost always looks exactly the same in every bloody job I do, um, I I will be very different. So like I I did an audition for a pilot, for an Ava DuVernay pilot the other day. And I think I was down to the top two or three or something. And, um, you know, I was like my, I had my, like my lip was droopy from some kind of like fight or problem and I could barely see out of one eye and I was talking like this and I was hunched over and like all those things informed the character because you know if you if I was talking like me with my voice at my pitch I wouldn't be an explosives expert that worked in the tunnels in the middle of New York in the demilitarized zone I would be like you know probably someone different and so um, you know I had to kind of come up with all of this stuff that sort of, that sort of um, happened. And then that comes from the history of the character as well. Like, okay, well, how did you end up talking like that? Well, okay, this thing happened or whatever. Um, how do I speak? Do I have an accent um, and don't just guess it on the character's financial position, the job, self-image, background, all that sort of thing and you'll find as you build all that stuff the great thing about it is then you don't have to do any acting because you've got all this other stuff going on and you just get to talk and you don't have to think too hard about the performance because it just comes out awesome. Learning an accent, guys obviously Australians are a lot better at accents than than many other people, um, especially Americans, Um, but 21 Accents is a really great company in LA that trains people, people uh, trains actors in different accents. There's a ton of YouTube videos though. Like I, whenever I have a role and I have to learn an accent, I just do YouTube videos or I watch movies, pause them, repeat the line they just said, pause it again, you know, play it again, listen to the line. Pause it repeat the line and just do that over and over and over again. Um, if you've been to acting school you probably know phonetics. Um, you could study phonetics. Um, it's a really great way to just have replacement uh, vowels, I suppose, for every different thing that you want to say and different accents. I can't do phonetics. It gets me really confused. My husband does it, Andrew. He's um, He went to NIDA, so he's big on phonetics. Um, I'm just like, I don't get it. So the A turns into an E. Okay. Why do we need a schwamm? I don't understand. But for acting school people, apparently it makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, figure out the vowel replacement. So that's what I do. I'll just be like, well, okay, so all the A's are E's, all the I's are O's, and I can, I can work from there. Um, Um, And then practice in real life. It's really important that you practice accents in real life, guys. I see so many actors in Australia that are doing American accents and they can do the accent okay. Like the accent sounds fine. But it's stuffing up their performance because for whatever reason they're not able to be flexible and free in that accent because they don't feel like themselves or it's doing whatever. I don't know. I don't know what the why is, but I see it all the time and it drives me insane. And you can cure that by pretending to be American and just walking around the city, going to different shops, bakeries, um, cafes, whatever and talk to people in an American accent, You know, tell them that you've been over there for however long, if they ask you, yeah, I'm from Chicago, whatever. But just just practice the accent in everyday language with strangers who don't know that you're putting it on so that you can just get used to talking in a conversational tone in that accent. The reason it's so important is because you just don't wanna feel trapped because otherwise an accent, like the American accent or whatever accent, it's something where you only know how to do it in the exact words that you're saying in the scene and it's really limiting and you can't just play and you always have to feel free to play while you're acting. So um, yeah, practicing any accent in real life, normal conversation, I think is really, really important. Um, and still, if you're playing a character and you wanna um, you know, be bold with it and, um, you know, or if it's a character where you're like, oh, this is such a bizarre role. I don't even know what to do with it go watch stuff. If you wanna play trailer trash, go watch Dale Dickey doing some amazing stuff or watch Ozark and you know, see what they all do, see how they act. It's gonna give you permission more than anything. You, even if you don't wanna specifically steal something that they do, it'll give you permission to, to behave in a way that's maybe a little bigger, or a bit sillier, or a bit more, less normal than you usually would have. And that's where you start getting this interest, these interesting performances that come up. All of the big filmmakers steal things from each other. Um, it's really important to include, like a lot of the filmmakers will include like an ode to another film or a filmmaker. Like I remember True Romance was one of my favorite movies. And then um, I saw this other film from like, 10 or 15 years before true romance i'm like this is true romance it's exactly true romance it's just been done a little bit differently it's even got the same music but that's what that's what creatives do they sort of stand on the shoulders of the people that came before them and it's a beautiful thing so don't ever feel like you can't just like watch what someone else is doing and be like okay i'm gonna borrow that little, little little bit and that little bit and put it all together so breaking down the scene Breaking down the scene, this is this is kind of just simply sort of straightforward stuff. What are your objectives and obstacles? What are your character's goals? So basically you want to figure out what your goal is for the entire project and then what your goal is in the scene, which is much more specific. So almost always there's going to be something in the way of the goal. So your goal is your objective, your obstacle is the thing that's in the way of the goal. So long-term obstacles, short-term obstacles. So long-term obstacle is for the whole project. What's your main thing that's it's really in your character's way of getting their main goal and then short-term obstacles so what's going on in the scene that is stopping your character from getting what they need in that scene. Um, Once you know that it's going to help you find your turning point and um, that's kind of where you really figure out kind of what's going on in the scene. Um, What are you actually doing before this scene starts? Well this is the most important choice to make in a scene so if you when you're doing an audition for me, like for instance, I was doing an audition once for a show called Rebel, a BET show, and I went to a friend's house and I was working on it, and and he's just like, "What are you doing? You're not doing anything at the start." And so we realized my character's like setting up for a soup kitchen. And I was like, well, how can I set up for a soup kitchen? I don't wanna stand here miming. It's gonna look ridiculous. So I was sort of scared to do anything. And he's like, yeah, but you don't have to set up for a soup kitchen, just do something. And so I started the scene, just picking one box up from here, an invisible box, you know, picking a box up, moving it to the right, picking a box up, moving it to the right picking a box up, moving it to the right. And that's all I did for the whole first two or three lines of my scene. Cause I'm doing stuff and these people, you know, these cops come up and they're asking me a question. I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm, I don't know. I don't know my name, blah, 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 whatever. I'm, and I'm doing my thing. It's a lot more interesting than they come in and understanding there eye fucking the reader and staring them down. Like, you know, it's, it's a, uh, having something going on, having business going on, gives you something to do so that as the scene begins, you're not just waiting for the next line. And that ends up being honestly a real, dis- really clear distinguishing factor when you're watching auditions. Um, between the actors that are kind of the pros, where they're comfortable enough to just do something like that, and not, and you know, I ended up booking that role. Um, and it doesn't even have to be something physical. I read for SWAT the other day, and I got the role. And um, I think I only got the role because the guy I was coaching with. Again, I coach, man. Like I've worked a lot, and I still always try to coach if I can. But um, you know, Julian Curtis, who was coaching me, who's an amazing acting coach. Um, he had me uh, you know I was just sort of starting the scene because it just said she's it's a screen door and she opens the screen door and so I you know I walk up I open the screen door and I'm like hey what do you want and so we do this scene a bunch of times I'm like okay cool yeah I'm pretty happy with that like let's we'll just do one for safety and he's like well as long as i was doing one for safety. And he's like, what's going on? Like, what's going on at the start? I'm like, I don't know, I'm opening the door. Like you, you can't see my beat before because the scene starts with me opening the door. And he's like, yeah, but what's going on in your head before? And I'm like, oh shit, good point, man. He's like, what were you doing before the scene started? Cause it doesn't feel like you existed before the scene started. I'm like, that's a really, really good point. And so he's like, we figured out like, what if I'm just watching a movie? I'm watching a movie and I don't want to be at the door. And I'm like, why is this random person at my door? So I'm, you know, instead of just walking up to the door and being like, like kind of opening the door and just being like, hey, what's up? I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, I open the door and I'm just like, yeah, you know, like, and it just gave a little bit of a like, I'm doing something, what do you want? Like, who, who are you? What do you want? And it just, it changed the opening moment of the scene and looking at the two different takes next to each other, it was like night and day. And it was a half a second beat difference, you know? It's the difference between just opening the door and looking and like, like what's going on? And, and it, it, I'm sure that's what books booked me the role. So it doesn't have to be some big physical thing. It just needs to be, you know where you were before this scene started and your character existed before the scene started. Um, Uh, and that then informs the whole rest of the scene because then I could be like what's my what's my character's objective in the scene well my character's objective in the scene is to get back to the movie that I was watching because I was really enjoying watching that movie and I don't want to be having this conversation about my ex-boyfriend with a cop at my front door so then I all of a sudden have a different objective because if I'm just standing there opening the door answering my objective is I don't know, have the conversation, this, it changes everything. So it gives me something more specific, much more specific to work with. Um, but a physical action can be really helpful and it's really handy because then you don't have to be staring down the reader. Find the turning point in the scene. Every good scene has a turning point. There's a point where the energy shifts, something changes. If you can't see it, you need to find it. Um, finding the turning point and pinpointing what changes can help you avoid playing the end of the scene at the beginning. Um, So uh, there's gonna be a point in your scene where the scene goes from this to that, this place to that place and everything shifts. And um, uh, what's gonna happen if you don't have your turning point, a lot of the time you'll end up playing the end of the scene at the beginning. If you know what your turning point is, then you know that the entire scene is divided in two from this point to that point. And it makes it a much more interesting journey when the beginning of the scene doesn't kind of get away, you know, give away what's going on at the end of the scene. Um, like even with that SWAT audition, it was all pretty straightforward. I just, I wanted the conversation to be over. I was over it. But then by the end of the scene, he's noticed that there's a laptop and I'm like, oh, well maybe take a laptop if you want, it can help. So I've gone from trying to get out of the conversation to, well here, I mean, yeah, ha- have the laptop if that's helpful to, you know, take it, no big deal. So I've gone from wanting to get out of the conversation to being helpful on some level, I think, yeah, that changes the tone. Actions line by line. So this is one you can do, you don't, I don't always do this, but I do it. If you have um, a scene that sounds to one note or a character where you're just sort of not getting it and you're just like, I don't know why, but everything's just starting to sound same, same in the scene to help you sort of change it up. If you go through every single piece of punctuation in the script and every, patch of text between the pieces of punctuation write an action so what is what is the purpose of that piece of dialogue so is it to inform is it to intimidate to share to educate to calm to uh help to evoke you know whatever it is figure out what each piece of dialogue is and if it's good writing you shouldn't repeat any action throughout the scene. If it's bad writing, a lot of the time it can end up being like, well, actually they only needed one of these three sentences. And now I know that because I can see that they all serve the same purpose, unless it's expositional dialogue. If it's expositional dialogue or expository dialogue, you can just label it as matter of fact, because it's just sharing information. but if you've done your character kind of web, then you'll know where each of those opinions you have are. So if you are sharing expositional dialogue, a lot of the time your character might have an opinion about it. Um, and I think that can be important, but um, you know, you don't wanna necessarily put an action on it because while you have an opinion of it and that needs to be clear, putting an action on it can make it like pushy because the reality is all expository dialogues just to inform, to inform, to educate, whatever. And if it's a big chunk of exposition, like, you know, John Smith was born in 1907 and he came up, you know, like it's, it's uh, a lot, it's all going to be to inform, to inform, to inform, to inform, to share. And so that's sort of more of a matter of fact, but then you can obviously have, you need to have an opinion of it as you're saying it, but don't, there's not as much of an action with it. Um, And then the other thing is lists, lists don't have to, you don't have to try to think of a different action for everything in a list, Um, you should again have an opinion on them, but if you um, are like trying to make it so everything in a list is like well you've got the green berries the blueberries the yellow berries the red berries it's like you don't want to be like well you got the, the green berries the blueberries the yellow berries the red berry unless it's comedy then it's sort of stuff you know it can be a little bit more fun and then you're playing with it but usually you're just going to kind of list them off the cuff you might have an opinion you might be like well you got the green berries and blueberries the red berries the yellow berries uh, but don't do too much with it because it will just whenever it's a list it it, it just starts being a little a bit um a little bit exhausting to listen to someone listing stuff and trying to make it varied. After the scene the closing beat. So after the scene ends your character continues to exist. It's very important that they continue to exist. Tell your reader to keep rolling after the um the after the scene ends for about two or three seconds and stay in character, have an opinion on what transpired, leave if they wanna leave, contemplate whatever you're contemplating, do whatever your character would do after this scene ends and have the thoughts that go along with that. There's these beautiful final beats that exist. So, and and the beauty of it is it's it, a lot of the time, if it's a self-tape and you are, you know, especially these days, you can just cut it. If you don't like what you do at the end and that final beat, you can cut it. But if you do like it, and keep it, so it's important to record it. Um, so have, do have, make sure you have final unspoken thoughts after the last lines are done. Um, I think it's, uh, again, kind of like having that first beat. It has a really big impact on the impression that you leave and, and the sort of level of actor that you are um, in the mind of the casting person watching. So this is more just a physical thing, the look. Wardrobe, never strikes or checkers, no brand names unless your character is trashy or has that vibe. Doesn't mean everyone who wears brand names is trashy. It just means that like they pop on camera, they're distracting and it can kind of draw the eye and you don't want anything that draws the eye away from you. You want it to be a little bit neutral so that they can imagine you in whatever the character's costume is. The reason for no stripes or checkers is because um, cameras didn't used to be as good as the iPhone cameras these days. But even on iPhone cameras, stripes and checkers still can get a little bit of blurry, especially if you're reducing the size of the video before you send it. Uh, that it can end up just looking really sort of weird and jittery on screen. Um, And don't wear anything that really distracts from the performance. Um, No costumes, no police outfits, fire outfits um just dress in the tone of the character instead um and obviously if you're doing a a corporate role wear a suit um if it's a tv series i think it's really important to look at the color palette that they use in the tv series um the color themes in the show and dress in a color that matches their palette so a lot of the shows like even breaking bad used to have every character was a different color um you know, like uh, ha- Hank's wife, I think, was wearing purple all the time. And I can't remember what Cranston was, but like they, w- they would all just have different, um, they would have really specific different colors and those colors would change as th- if their personality changed. But a lot of shows generally will have a color tone, like the 100 I read for and it has, um, I think like blue, like a deep sort of um, navy-ish blue um, as that post-apocalyptic vibe. And then the, the like forest green is what the majority of the characters seem to wear. So I wore a t-shirt that was a deep blue. Um, it's a pretty straightforward thing. Just fit it, you're, you're going to ask to be a part of their world. So you wanna kind of dress appropriately and at least subconsciously give them the impression that you're a good fit. The exception to the no color, the the no costumes rule is um, I did an audition for a Viking role in this show called Triangle. And uh, I did the whole audition in my Burning Man outfit. So I had my like full on like hippie pants on and like my, they were like these big baggy brown, like, I don't know, tie pants and a big um fur coat, like a massive fur coat and like necklaces. And I got Andrew to do my hair up in like little uh plaits, uh, which he got to be very good at by the time I'd done my like, couple of callbacks. And um yeah, uh I went in like a full Viking outfit and I ended up booking that role as a series regular on a ABC series. And um That was a $14 million pilot. So it wasn't screwing around. I went there in a costume and it was funny because I saw the girls that were walking back, some of the other girls that were reading and they were in like black jeans and black t-shirts which is probably what I would have recommended people wear like to not wear a costume. But to be honest, I just felt like I was in this world and I didn't feel like they were even close to the world. And it was, I I really felt glad that i kind of gone to that effort to be in in character to that extent and um, I think if it's a period piece or if you're a character that's a really bizarre kind of world I think it's kind of okay to do a costume of sorts for that but I think when you're reading for like police fireman doctor all that sort of stuff because it's modern day I feel like you can dress a little bit more neutral and just have the color you know for a doctor you want to wear like a white blazer or something but you don't need to be in like full scrubs um hair so I think it's important to wear your hair in the way that the character would wear it especially girls for period pieces Oh, for everyone for period pieces you know for guys you don't want to have like your hair gel or your hair's all spiked up and sexy you want to have it like you know if it's a period piece they always used to like gel it down or whatever or if it's from you know the 60s or the 80s or whatever like it's going to be really specific hair that people wore in that era so um, I think it's important to try to get so, sort of, the, don't make them use their imagination too much because um, a lot of the time they're gonna see someone who fits what they've imagined the projects like and they're gonna be interested in that person because it just fits, it makes sense, especially if you've got two actors who are doing an equally good performance. So just have the have the hair is just such an easy thing. It's the main thing that's in your shot when you're being recorded. Uh, so, sort of just make sure that you pay attention to that, if it's an era thing especially. Um, no hats that shade or block your face, because then they can't see you audition, and uh, look at the show, if it's a TV series, get a feel for what kind of hair they do. It might be that even the casual waitress has full glam hair or something on Days of Her Lives. Um, makeup, same thing, wear the makeup that matches the TV series that you're auditioning for, and do makeup that's appropriate for the character at that moment. You don't have to wear makeup for every audition. I read for a 99 cent store mom, like a low income mom once. I wore no makeup, my hair in a ponytail, absolutely no makeup, like zits and all sort of thing. My hair in a ponytail, oily skin, sneakers, jeans that didn't really fit me right. And I went into the audition room and all these girls had hair and makeup done. And I was like, are you crazy? Like, this is like, this is, it describes the character as like, she's overwhelmed, she's got a kid, she's low income. She And and it was really clear that she wouldn't be someone who was dolled up. And I just thought as soon as I walked to the audition room, I knew I had the part. I, was just, I didn't even think I needed to act. I probably could have just gone in there and waved it and done a slate and booked the role because it was a small supporting role in something. And you know, my look just made sense they were completely overdone for the part. So I, I think I booked that role literally because I went there without any makeup and, and looking like junk basically, because that's what the character was supposed to be. If you're a tall girl, have a look at how tall the guy, the main guy is, if it's a show. Um, back in, when they were taping 24, they, um, they had line on the wall at Kiefer Sutherland's height, because they didn't want anyone taller than him In any role that wasn't supposed to be like a big bad guy kind of thing so if you are a tall girl probably i would recommend not wearing heels if the if the lead guy is a lot shorter because they're not going to want you towering over him and don't wear heels if you can't balance in them (laughs) like those girls like clomping along kind of clubs that have no (laughs) no business wearing heels wear shoes to match the character and wardrobe Obviously, uh, and it's okay to wear the sneakers to the location and then change into heels in the waiting room. For guys, shoes—you know—put shoes on. I'm sure <laughs> something that matches your outfit is fine. And then live auditions. So this is kind of audition day type stuff. So audition rules. So these are these are ones more where either you're in the room or on Zoom. But this is more focused to what sort of happens in the room. And this is. I think in America, I think it will apply to Australia as well. But the difference in America is just that you'll have your sides in your hand, where in Australia, they don't tend to do that as much. Audition dues, be kind to the assistant reader. First of all, they're always going to get promoted eventually. Um, But second of all, they're human beings and they're very nice people. So be kind to them. Keep the accent of the character. Uh, Keep it until you've finished every take of your scene can talk in your normal accent when you're done at the end but I would stay in the accent of the character at the beginning just because you don't want first of all if you're talking in your natural voice it might pull you out of the character or out of the accent and it could take a second to get back into it but also you don't want them hearing your natural voice and being reminded that that's not your natural the character's accent isn't your natural accent because you don't want them listening and trying to hear or hearing you stuff up the the accent you know without it actually happening because a lot of the time they might hear you stuff up an accent where you actually didn't but it's just because they think oh well they're australian and they're gonna you know uh, so they're listening for it even americans say things in varied ways you might get two people from chicago who talk completely differently and if they hear it, either of them do it they might not think anything of it but if they've heard your australian accent at the start and then they hear you do this attempted Chicago accent, they may hear normal imperfections as an accent slip and that's bad. So don't give them a chance to think that. Read the vibe of the room and let the casting director lead. You're, you're in the casting director's space. so. Be respectful of that. You're walking into their space. We all want to kind of go in and feel confident, but there's a big difference between confident and arrogant. You don't want to go in there and take over the room and, oh, I'm running this thing. It's my time. Everyone's telling me it's my time. Yes, it is your time. This is your time to be in their space doing your best possible acting work in a collaboration with the casting director who wants you to get the job. So don't look at the casting director as the enemy and you have to do some power play over them. Just be very friendly and civil. And you know, is it okay if I sit? I wanna sit on line three. Um, Is the camera gonna be okay to follow me? Is that all right? Whatever it is, it's a collaboration. Keep your sides in your hand in America. Um, Be directable and open to change. They will redirect you often just to see if you can take direction. So if you don't agree with the redirect, doesn't matter do it anyway take the direction because a lot of the time they'll give you the redirect and then they'll be like oh actually it was better the way you did it anyway only ask intelligent or pronunciation questions now I'm not talking about the pronunciation of words that you can google and get up on google but names you know things like if it's if it's a specific thing that you can't find online and there's nowhere to to look it up and there's nowhere to find out. Maybe it's a made up company name or something like that. That, That's an easy one to ask. Make it an intelligent question. And if it's a pronunciation question, make sure it's something that isn't Googleable. Personally, schedule 90 minutes for each theatrical audition. That's just in your mind. The reason for that is you wanna have time to sort of show up early and and prep and and get into the right headspace. Limit your props to one item. If you wanna bring a prop, if you wanna bring a pen, a handbag, glasses, something that you would have with you naturally, a jacket, a musical instrument if that's needed, a deck of cards if you're doing a magic trick or something. Even if you're bartending and you wanna just have a dishcloth or a rag in your back pocket and use that in the scene, that's fine, Um, or a notepad and folder if that's incorporated into the scene. No weapons ever, a gun is just literally, a gun is that for someone who hasn't shot before. If you're a shooter, then just, hold it like as if you're holding a real gun. Um, I usually, if I'm doing shooting, I'll do it like like that, just because I've been shooting for a long time. And so it's a bit more natural for me. If you uh, need a knife, a knife is just that. This is a knife. I'm holding a knife right now. I'm wielding it. I could stab someone with my imaginary knife. It doesn't need to be, a, you don't need a pen in your hand to play a knife. You just, you're holding a knife, it's fine. Uh, no weapons ever. If they really need you to have a weapon in the scene, they'll have a fake one with them, but they probably won't because it's really not that necessary. Don't smoke before you go in, um, it stinks. I can smell smoke. Uh, Uber drivers are always like, I'm like, oh, you're a smoker. like, oh, I don't smoke in the car. Yeah, either you do or you don't bathe because I can smell it. Don't shake hands unless they offer, um, obviously, especially these days. We will end up back in audition rooms. I know we all think it's going to stay as self-tapes forever. And self-tapes will always be part of what we do. And I think it's great because it means international actors can read for more American projects or more big Hollywood projects or projects all around the world, England, everywhere. All of the casting directors, I did a big interview series with a bunch of casting directors through the break and um, on Secret Actors Society It's like, we brought in casting directors from a ton of like Emmy and Academy Award level projects and, um, you know, we had really good long 90 minute chats with them. Um, Those videos are free they're all up on the Secret Actors Society app and website. you don't have to pay to watch the long interview. Um, the, me- the bit that's members only is the more business focused questions that we ask them. Anyway, a lot of them, they were all just like, I can't- I want to get back in the audition room. I love being in a room with actors, working with them, being able to give them redirection on the spot. They're eager to get back in the room. It's their social life. You know, We all think, oh, it's great working from home. For a lot of people, that's their main socializing is being in an office or being in In their workplace meeting people interacting with people we're social beings we don't want to just sit at home with nobody else around much of the time i'm i'm totally the person that wants to sit around at home with nobody else much of the time but i also have a husband that i'm deeply obsessed with and so it's a lot easier you know there's a lot of people who really love that social interaction going out into the world and and seeing people at work and, and especially casting directors, they love actors. They love working with actors. They love the process. They love running auditions. Like they were all, all the ones we spoke to were really eager to get back into the actual casting office rather than just be at home. So um, this will all start happening again. Um, anyway, don't shake hands unless they offer. Don't say you just got the sides. They know when they sent you the sides. No excuses. Once you're in the room, you're in the room. What you do is is your audition. And there's no reason to sort of preface it with any, excuses or reasons that you don't know it they're aware if you were a late call in Um, don't touch the reader don't try to do never touch the reader for any reason don't try to sell yourself don't apologize don't show any naughty bits unless forewarned and discussed with your rep especially if an audition did not come through your agent or manager and it is not through the meaa or sag aftra do not take any of your clothes off And there always needs to be a woman in the room uh, if they are asking for that. And they also need to let you know in advance. And they also need to, you know, it needs to be thoroughly discussed if for some reason they're gonna tape it and they should never ask you to take the bottom half off. It's just if they, you know, for something like maybe Spartacus or Game of Thrones, they might need to know, don't I have a nice rack? Like, how does it look? We need to cast you based on these, you know, this top half of yours. Um, But that should be thoroughly discussed with your agent. and. And really don't do, don't do those auditions for independent projects. It's just not worth it. It's not worth having that footage out there and having potential issues come up in the future. No, don't talk about bad things that happened to you before the audition. If it was like took half an hour to find a parking spot, nobody cares, just arrive early enough that that's not an issue. No perfume or deodorant I'm giving this its own section because people I feel like in the world people don't understand how smelly the crap they spray on their body is and also keep in mind it's an endocrine disruptor and it's bad for people um around you so deodorant and perfume they're not good for you and they're not good for people around you and when you put them on in the car before you go to an audition you stink and then you go into the waiting room and you stink and you give people like me allergies. <laughs> and then you go into the wait- into the casting office and they're stuck in this tiny little room with a camera and no window sometimes. Well, there's usually a window, but still, it's not good, they're stuck in a little room with your stupid perfume there for the next 20 minutes until it dissipates. It lingers, it can make people sick, it can trigger allergies, and then they will hate you. Um, casting directors, well, they're lovely people and they love us all, but if they have a very, very good reason to hate you, they won't ha- They won't be able to help it. They'll just be like, no, because that person always wears heavy perfume and I don't want them in my effing space. If you get smelly, um, you know, obviously put deodorant on a couple hours beforehand you know, preferably roll on if you can. Um, if you get smelly and you, you do feel like you are getting a little B.O. before you go in, you can always just use wet paper towels in the bathroom or baby wipes or whatever and, and, and wipe your pits. Um, Cause obviously we do all go into five flight mode and start swing before audition sometimes. On the audition day, before the audition, run your lines the day that morning when you first wake up, run your lines with your phone. If you can then later, a little bit later, run them with a friend or a coach or a real human after you read it with your phone. The reason I'm so big on reading it with your phone is so that your friends don't start hating you and never wanting to read lines with you. And also I like it if you know, if you can learn your lines with your phone, then when you're reading it with a human, you can really work the scene. Whereas if you're learning the lines while you're reading it with a human, then you've used up all of your time with that human on learning words as opposed to working the scene and playing with it. I think it's really important also to just run every scene kind of happy, sad, you know, happy, sad, angry, you know, a bunch of different emotions and play the whole scene that way because then you find really surprising ways of saying lines um, that come out when you're doing these varied reads. Arrive early to find parking. I think that's really important. You don't wanna be rushing before an audition. It's the worst thing ever. Like I tend to plan to walk into the casting office 15 to 20 minutes beforehand. And that way I'm not, you know, I can use the restroom. I can relax. Uh, But, you know, uh, while you're still in the car, take a quick selfie for your files. Um, I think it's important to have a photo of yourself before each audition and what you're wearing and all that. So you don't have to think about it. Sit in the car and run your scene once. at least, uh, you know, just run through the words again. Muscle memory, just get get it going on in your mouth. It doesn't have to be obviously at full energy. You definitely don't want it to be if it's a big emotional scene. But just get the muscle memory of the words back in your mouth. Do a calming or breathing exercise, and um, you know that you know that I think is something to write down. EFT tapping, or meridian point tapping, I think is really an important, amazing way to calm yourself. Meridian point tapping or EFT tapping. Immediately taps into uh, acupressure and acupuncture points in your body and um, tells your body to calm down. So, I would definitely recommend Googling it um, and starting to get used to just the different EFT um, tapping and acupressure points. Um, I think they're really, really uh, incredible and they can, they've been shown to reduce stress and anxiety within minutes, two or three minutes. Um, Oh, and this is a really cool exercise that actually should have been a, a, probably a little bit earlier, but the day before or, or the morning of or whatever, close your eyes and then calm yourself and then picture yourself going through every single step of the audition from arriving in the car to getting back into your car and picture it going wonderfully. So, Tony Robbins shared this exercise where they had basketballers. And they wanted to track how well they improved over the space of, I think a week or two. I can't remember how long they did the exercise for, but basically they split them into three groups. One group was instructed to not practice at all and not think about practicing. One group was instructed to practice every day, throwing this is just throwing three pointers. One group was instructed to practice every day and one group was instructed to never physically practice, but only imagine themselves throwing a three pointer shot over and over again. And every single time they imagined it, they would get it in. And then they brought them all back and they tested them. Obviously the group that didn't practice at all was the least amount of improvement. They didn't improve at all. The group that, um, did it in the physical world, had a small amount of improvement, but the group that had pictured themselves doing it perfectly every time in their mind, and they hadn't physically practiced at all, they were the ones with the largest amount of improvement. So if you can close your eyes and picture yourself going to your audition, picture it going wonderfully every single step of the way, picture yourself running the scene with the reader, picture saying, thank you so much, see you later, walking out, everyone's happy, birds are chirping, music's playing, walk to the car, it was the best audition ever. Then odds are, once you've done that a couple of times, you've already, I guess, demystified that audition process and it makes it something that's a lot less scary for you. So. I very strongly recommend doing that exercise a couple times before auditions because it'll help you just calm a little bit as well. Um, But I will say though, guys, the, um, the stress and nerves that come with an audition are your body going into fight or flight mode. And when your body goes into fight or flight mode, it goes into a shutdown, essentially, of all of your daily um, maintenance. So your body stops, you know, your digestion will kind of all freeze up. That's why a lot of the time you need to go to the bathroom, you you stop um, healing that bacterial infection next to your liver, you all of your blood in your body goes to your extremities. Because if you're being chased by a cougar, where do you need all your blood in your arms and your legs and your brain? You start, um, you, you know, you're in this beautiful primal mode where you sort of become superhuman. And so that stress before an audition, I hate to it sex, it's so bad for us. But in short, we're designed to have it in short bursts. We're not designed to have it on a daily basis, which is why it's bad if you're living in a toxic situation, because um, then you will eventually die because your body will stop healing itself. But if you, um, if you if you just have it for auditions and you embrace it and instead of nerves, you just reframe it as excitement. You know, I'm so excited. Oh my God, I'm so excited I can explode. Oh my God, it's gonna be, I'm so scared and it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> like to fall in love with that feeling means you can harness those superpowers. And those are the same superpowers that, mean, that make mums pick up a car when their kid's trapped under it and all of a sudden they have superhuman strength. So, um, you know, the the speed at which your brain will start working because it needs to be hyper alert to get out of that situation where it's being chased by a saber toothed tiger, um, the speed at which you will be able to think is like it's like being in a car accident or something where everything slows down and you can your brain moves much more quickly if you can harness that and fall in love with those nerves fall in love with that fight or flight thing yes it's bad if you're shaking and because a lot of the time you know you're choosing between fighting and flighting and if you can't run away you're there and so you think you're fighting and a lot of time you'll start shaking from all the adrenaline but you know, you can use the EFT tapping to calm it down a little, but I would try to keep some of that energy because it is this amazing adrenaline boost and um, a cortisol, cortisone, maybe both um, boost in your body. Um, that is really useful, and I think is part of the reason that a lot of the time we are able to micro analyze auditions more so than the same 10 minute period outside of an audition room because you know we're in this crazy mode. For me, sometimes it'll happen the opposite if I'm really playing a role and I'm really into it, I'll forget the entire audition. They'll be like, How'd you go? I'll be like, I have no fucking clue because I don't really remember what just happened. Um, uh, but anyway, point being, um, do Uh, open yourself up to the idea, create the possibility that that nerves before an audition could actually be something really helpful and something really amazing to embrace. Um, The audition wait, if there's a big line ahead of you, sign straight in. So if you go in and there's like you know 20 people waiting, you're 15 minutes early, sign in because trust me they're not getting to you anytime soon. Um, So on the right hand side of the screen if you look, if you calculate the wait time as each actor taking two minutes, for every one page of an audition. So let's say it's a three page scene. They'll usually do that audition scene twice. That's around six minutes to eight minutes per auditioning. I like to be on the safe side. So I would probably even just go, oh, okay, well, it's a three page scene. There's 10 people ahead of me. That means I have at least 30 minutes as a very bare minimum. And, but I can safely say I have 50 minutes because it's gonna take a minute to walk in and a minute to walk out. So it's five minutes per person. And then um, if they do the scene twice, I might have double that. So, um, so I can look at, the, at 10 people ahead of me with three pages per scene and say, I know that I can walk away for 50 minutes. So I will sign in and I'll look at my clock and I will come back in around 45 minutes time. Um, I think it can be really good to figure out who is not just in front of you, right before you, because that's all well and good when they go in, you're screwed. But the person who's before them So two people ahead of you, because that way you can stand in the hallway instead of being stuck in the waiting room with a million other actors. And when you see the person, two people ahead of you leave, then you know that the person ahead of you just went in and you're on deck. Um, I strongly recommend um, stepping away from the waiting room, going and running your line somewhere secluded. I usually do it in a stairwell because all of the audition rooms in America seem to be in you know office buildings and there's you know they're on the third floor or whatever so I'll go run lines in the stairwell away from everyone um I did get locked in a stairwell once and couldn't get out um I was thinking whether I should call the casting office to try to come and rescue me and then eventually some other dude from the building just happened to open the door and I was like hold the door! To get to my audition for days of our lives. And uh, yeah, I managed, I didn't book that audition but they actually ended up offering me a different role at a different date um, where my, my real life husband got to propose to me just cause the casting director thought it'd be fun and she knew us both. So, um, but yeah, definitely be careful if you go into a stairwell, um, make sure it doesn't lock behind you. Um, go to the bathroom when you're like, you know, when there's f- around four people ahead of you, four or five people ahead of you go to the bathroom because otherwise you're gonna need to pee, like you're gonna need to pee right before you go in. So um, get, get your bladder empty. And then also when you're on deck, um, like when the person before you goes in, drink some water because it will keep your brain sharp. Our brain is just salt, oil and water. So that's why the omega-3s are important, that's why hydrating is important, and that's why having some amount of salt. Everyone says salt's bad for you. Lots of salt is bad for you. Salt in a processed food diet is bad for you, but if you are eating a normal healthy diet of, you know, mostly fruits and vegetables and, um, you know, very low kind of processed food, you need a lot of salt. So, so don't be scared of, of having a good amount of salt and oil and, and water in your diet. Um, because uh, that's the stuff, you know, electrolytes, Gatorade, Pedialyte, all that, electrolytes are literally just salt. Um, and they're the thing that sparks all the electricity in your brain. Um, in the room, there's actually something called hyponutremia, where if you drink too much water and not enough salt, you can die. So just be aware that it's okay to put salt on your salad. Um, In the room, this is your time. This is your time. Doesn't mean you run the room. It means you're in the casting director's space, you're a guest in their space, Consider it a collaboration. If it's an emotional scene, it's fine to ask the assistant to let you um, to let the CD know that you'd rather not chat before the um, audition. That's fine. Let them know if you're doing any big sudden movements. Um, uh, that's just for camera. Like, oh, on you know, on this line, I'm gonna like. Do this big thing. Sit down, stand up, jump up and down, whatever it is, and just let them know so that the camera can follow you. Only shake hands if they offer. Um, never uh, don't put your hand out; it could be like awkward, especially obviously these days. Read the vibe of the casting director if they're making conversation or eager to get started, and consider the size of the line in the waiting room when deciding how chatty to be. So if you know the casting director you know and you want to kind of have that chat I get that it's your time but if they've got 20 people in the waiting room they might be eager to keep moving so just be a little bit space aware and aware and, and um, conscious of what's going on around you. Um, if you need to move furniture ask first. Redirections everything. Listen intently. Keep the accent of your character until your audition is done thank them and leave. No need to comment on your performance. Don't be like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't feel like I did really well. <laughs> There's no need. If the writer or director is there and you liked their script, let them know. Um, I think it's important to speak to them as a fellow creative and just be like, hey man, like I read your script. It was freaking amazing. Um, uh, you know, I'm so glad someone's writing a screenplay about this, blah, blah, blah. Um, after the audition, um, maintain your confidence So you get in the car. Um, Uh, You just never know who's in the waiting room, who's outside. Um, You don't want to be like on the phone saying, oh, I blew it or the casting director was a little dick or whatever. Um, Write a thank you note to the casting director. So have a little, I think it's important to have a little box of thank you notes in the car and write a little thank you note just saying, hey, you know, appreciate you bringing me in. Um, I loved uh, the redirection on that. I felt like it really improved the scene or whatever it was, you know, or it can just be, thank you for bringing me in. I really appreciate the opportunity. Put a little business card with your face on it um, in the note and then put that in the mail to go to their office so that they receive it in you know two or three days. It just keeps you top of mind with casting after the audition is done. It makes them go, oh who was that? Oh that's right, yeah she was good. Um, it won't help you get the part, it will help you stay top of mind with casting, especially if you didn't get the part for the next one. Um, do all of your own analysis on how you did in the car. So think about the audition as much as you want in the car on the way home. Um, But once you get home, shut the door and forget about it. Um, Send your reps an email or call them to let them know how you went. So this is, I think, a really good way to stay top of mind with your reps and also help them feel connected to kind of what's going on out there in the world. They're just sitting in an office pitching actors and they don't actually get to go to set. They don't, you know, sometimes they do, but they, they don't usually get to go to, you know, auditions or whatever. So for them, having you send a selfie of what you wore to the audition, and then just a two or three sentences. Hey, this is how it went. Um, you know, went in, saw the, the, the associate was Anna. She was really great. She was running the camera. You know, Jane was, Jane was the casting director. We did it three times. The second time I didn't feel like I did it as well. I fumbled a few lines, but the third time really got it properly. First read actually felt like the best, weirdly enough. Um, whatever it is, so that your your agent and manager know what's going on out in the field. And then they can have an intelligent conversation with casting if they call for any reason. When you get out of the car, forget it all ever happen and treat yourself guys. We always, we should be rewarded. Auditions are, horrendously crazy things, and we should reward ourselves once we finish one. Zoom auditions are essentially the same. Practice the scene via Zoom with a friend in advance. For instance, it took me about three or four of these seminars before I realized I should pin myself so that I can see what what my frame looks like while I'm talking to everyone. Practice via Zoom, pin the casting director or reader. Uh, well pin the reader so whoever's doing if it's the casting director pin them but only if they're reading pin the reader during the scene so you don't end up talking to yourself I did that on a zoom audition a zoom pullback the other day where I didn't pin the reader and as I talked I was on speaker view and so every time I talked I was acting my scene to myself and it was pretty much the worst thing ever I did not book that part it's the same as a live audition in how much to chat getting redirection and stuff really make sure you listen to any redirection don't be thinking about what you just did while they're giving you redirection really listen to the redirection make sure your internet is awesome obviously um, and test it before you do it because you don't want to be that person that's pixelated when everyone else looks fabulous and say thank you at the end self-tapes so we'll go through self-tapes oh wow the equipment, phone, tripod, tripod phone attachment, a good even lighting source and a single colored backdrop. Y'all, all I use, I got this, we got this from Spotlight. See, I don't know if you can see above the mirror, I guess it looks like it's a little, see that gray thing above the mirror there? That's a 240 centimeter screen and it was like a hundred bucks on sale from Spotlight. We just pull that down set up a tripod and it's actually also our projector screen for movies so we have like this massive tv screen uh it's gray it gray and blue are beautiful colors a good even lighting source so that screen is opposite a window with lots of natural light so and there's also these windows with also lots of natural light so um it uh it means we don't even- you know, during the day we would just need one light because there's no windows on this side of the room. So we would just need one light that would shine and cover the other, that's slightly shadowed. See how this side of my face is bright, this side's shadowed. I don't want that. So I'll put another light here and have some more light coming on this side of my face if I was facing this way. So set up, face the main lighting source, put the backdrop behind you, duh. Um, Set the tripod six feet ahead of you. Um, The camera should be at the same level as your face. Make sure there isn't a clean shadow behind you. If there is, just get another light, that'll even it out. Um, If the background is static or crackly looking, that means there isn't enough light. So you need to get more light into the whole room. Um, Frame the shot as requested. If there's no frame requested, it goes from armpits. So just below your armpits, or really tits up to your, from your nipples to your top of your head is essentially the frame Um, or just above. Like, so maybe there. Um, no space should be on top of your head. Have your head touching, touching the top of the frame. There's no reason, you don't, know, doesn't matter. All this space above me is irrelevant. We want my face. We want more of me in the screen. Um, the reader should stand two or three feet back from the camera if you're not using a microphone. I don't use a microphone. iPhones are fine. Um, the microphones are all great. Um, the reader should stand two to three feet back from the camera if there's room. If not, their voice is going to be a lot louder than yours. Um, so you don't want a loud reader voice and then your voice to be more quiet. So make sure that there's, they are Press record, and then take one or two steps back from the camera. Make sure they're not blocking your light, and they should be standing so the camera is right at the edge of each of your faces. So if that's the camera lens there, I'm looking here to the reader, or I'm looking here to the reader. And I also think if you have two characters in a scene, put an X on the wall and have it as a separate spot so you can actually look at it. Don't try to guess where the other character might be iPhone setup, guys, go to settings, camera, formats, change from high efficiency to most compatible. All the phones lately just went into this high efficiency mode, but it's not compatible with anything. So you're taping in these weird videos, H-E-I-C videos that don't actually... Uh, upload to a lot of things and for some reason people can't open them on different devices like a whole thing. So just go into your iPhone and change the setup. It will take up more space in your phone but who cares you need to get your audition videos done in the right format. And then tape at 1080p if you can. 720 is fine if you need to because it's still HD. The audition. Rehearse until you feel solid on the lines. Uh, This is for self-tapes. Yes, so this is in the room on the day with the reader. Always keep the opening beat at the start. Look around the space before you start. Imagine the whole room so you know where everything is. No need to stare down the reader. Just look at them when you feel compelled to. You don't need to constantly be on the reader. Just be, you know, you're doing your own thing. You know, your character might have a glass of water. Maybe she's like looking at a thing while she's talking. Yeah, I agree. No, 100%. What do you think? You know, it's whatever's going on in the scene. Don't constantly just be standing there staring down the reader like a creep. Face your body a little away from the reader, it adds some dimension. So if the reader's over here, you might look that way. If your reader's over there, you might look that, you might frame your body a little bit that way. It just, rather than just being like dead front on all the time. Um, Put an X on the wall for the other character, which we just mentioned, if there's a character other than the reader and you might like to do a totally different option, totally different type of read. um, So you can send through an option on one of your takes. If you only have a couple of lines, I like to imagine that I'm the lead of the film. Because when you are the lead in a film and you have one or two lines, it's just like, oh, this is my easy day, done. You don't even learn those lines usually. (laughs) You're just like, oh, what am I saying today? Oh, okay, yeah, no, hi John, I totally agree. Do you want a coffee? Great. Perfect. Hey John, I totally agree. Do You want a coffee? Great. That's it. It's not, you don't have to make it any anything interesting and trust me if you're the lead of the film you would not be putting all this junk onto a two-line scene but you're still coming from somewhere and going somewhere. You've still got your whole character because you're the lead of the film. Um, Apps to get readers on Zoom. We Audition is one that's got a paid monthly membership and Actor Trade is a free one. Um, They're both fantastic apps and it's a great way to find a reader. For the reader, ask them to alter their height according to how tall the character, the other character is. Um, If you're a girl talking to another girl and your boyfriend's playing the other character and he's taller than you, it's gonna look kind of, might look a little weird. So, you know, my guy's 6'3", so he's up here. And if I'm playing opposite, I'm supposed to be talking about someone else. I need to make sure he modifies his height. So I shrink him by making him sit. Um, ask to keep recording for around three or four seconds or so at the end, because you don't want to rush your final beat. Obviously you want to catch all those moments we talked about before. And if they're not an actor, if you're taping with your parents, tell them to just stop trying to act. Tell them to just talk. Please don't tape with your parents. Just. Get a reader on We Audition or Actor Trade. But if you do get stuck with reading with a relative who can't act, be thrilled because it will remind you of how good all of your actor friends were that you thought weren't very good because you realize how hard what we do actually is. But um, just tell them to do nothing. Tell them to just say it as deadpan as possible. It's the only way to get a good performance out of them. Um, choosing your scene. So guys, obviously, You know, everyone's gonna have their own process for this, but you know, you can see how long the scene is, delete any tiny, you know, really short versions. And um, uh, like if it's a one minute scene and you've got a bunch of little 15 minute, 15 I mean, 15 second clips, you know, that's not a full take. So just go through your phone, select them and delete them. Favorite the takes that you love. Um, You might like to send two options, but only if they're really different choices. iMovie is fine for editing. Just don't use fancy transitions or title cards. Title cards and fancy transitions just look so ghetto in America. Um, people don't use them. Put the slate at the end, unless it's requested at the front because you want them to see the character before they see you. And export it, try to export at 720p if you can because then it's small enough to send around but it's still big enough for people to see all the details in your performance. Sending the files, um, I already said all this stuff but I usually put my name, Kim Jackson, the role name and then scene one, my name, the role name and then scene two. I might put my agent at the end depending how I feel. I don't know why I wouldn't, but um, sometimes uh, uh, sometimes it just feels like a very long file name. I guess it just depends how long the, the role name <laughs> ends up being. Yeah, and you can send them via WeTransfer or upload them to wherever they ask you to upload them. But a Vimeo download is also okay if your agent's just having them send through to you. Um, um, I wanna go straight into finding your own auditions actors access casting networks um cast It talent this is where there's a lot of paid independent feature films and things like that and at the moment the good thing is they'll be taking self tapes so maybe you could be reading for kind of hollywood movies from australia right now but all of these different places the um getting an edge after you submit for a role that's perfect for you guys email the filmmakers you know find their addresses send them a thing if it's a perfect role for you hey, man, I didn't want to get lost in the shuffle. You know, can you, you know, I've submitted here. Didn't want to get lost in the shuffle. I'd love if you um, take a look at my stuff. I'd love to be considered for the role. Casting workshops, I love. Ace Studios, Next Level, Actors Connection, ITA, Actors Insight. There's also Actors Insights uh, only usually got like one maybe a month. That's, That's okay. So definitely don't pay for the monthly membership there. Union Management in England also runs casting workshops in the UK as well. Uh, A lot of them have Zoom now, so you can do them from anywhere. And then just networking, film festivals, panels, film markets, parties, networking groups, all the usual places. We're going to the Q&A now. Again, uh, just so you know, if you do want to join the Secret Actors Society, you get a free copy of an e-copy. And actually, I'm about to change this. So I would, if you are going to potentially join just to get the free copy of my book, I would do it now because I'm going to change it in the next, probably the next few days. At the moment, if you sign up for Secret actor Society, you get a free copy of the Hollywood Survival Guide and it's the full thing. I literally just put the PDF on there. Um, uh, You get a free copy of the Hollywood Survival Guide when you sign up and um, you can get the first two months free with the code free 60 and it's an app and a website. And yeah, I would just, I mean, anything else, you can just get the book. I mean, geez, that's it. Kim is going, we've opened up the chat
3: Brilliant. So I know how you're talking about, like, the fight or flight in the audition room, and I really like that. Do you have any tips on how to get that in, like, a self-tape?
2: Oh, how funny. I wish. Totally. That's so funny. (laughs) That's a really good point. Um, I don't know, because, you know, it depends. If it's a big self-tape, you can be nervous. I would probably say the best way to get fight or flight in a self-tape would be to do the self-tape with a casting director. Because there's some casting directors in Sydney where you can pay them, or in Australia, where you can pay them to be your reader or, or, you know, pay to to do the scene with them. And so then you'll be petrified anyway because you're reading with a really big, scary casting director, even though it's a self-tape. But yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, maybe just psych yourself up like, oh man, it's do or die. It's the last edition I'm ever going to have. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think you know the good thing about a self-tape is you can just kind of keep working at it, it doesn't need, and to be perfectly honest, being in a high stress state is actually very bad for the human body if it's done for more than a, a short period of time to escape the saber tooth tiger. Um, uh, Cause it does shut down your body's ability to heal itself and your skin and all that stuff. So. I would say with self tapes, it's not as much of a necessity because you aren't in that urgent situation where you have to get it right in the first two takes. Um, so you might not need it as much, but it's a very valid question. Um, I wish I had a more specific answer other than psych yourself up or hire a casting director.
3: <laughs> Thanks.
2: Thanks, Kim.
3: Um, cheers. Thank
2: you, Sarah. <laughs> Hi,
3: how are you? Hey, good, how are you? Good, good, thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, a question in regards to, I was put up for a role in a TV series, and I asked my agent if I could put in a self-test or a self-tape, and he said um, you can't really put one in unless you're invited. So you said, you know, if you are put forward, you know, just try and see if you can put a self-tape in. Um, But sometimes... Wait, when did I say that? If, you, if you're put forward, did I say that in this seminar? Yeah, you Sorry. just mentioned, you know, if you feel that you're right for the part, um, just try and put a self-tape uh, in. And I did ask if I could do that because I have done that before and I've booked. Um, so what are your thoughts about that without annoying your um, agent or the casting director?
2: Yeah. Look, I. Um, uh, my question again is: Did I say that in this seminar or a different seminar? Because I didn't think I said that in this one.
3: Oh, maybe. I, oh, well, that's what I thought you said. You know. Oh, okay. Cool. Okay. So I, I might be wrong, Kim. Sorry. Yeah, look, here's the thing.
2: Look, there is. If you're really, really perfect for a role, especially in America, it's a little more, um, you know, commonly done. Um, mm-hmm. If you're really really perfect for a role there there is a degree to which you can potentially say look is it okay if I just put down a self-tape because a lot of the time they won't audition people because they don't have time in the schedule you know if it's live auditions they simply have 30 audition slots and there's no room for anyone else um so that's a request that can be put in um and and it, it it doesn't as long as you have a good relationship with your agent it's no big deal usually they can ask casting but You've got to remember your agent will also have their own insecurities as far as how, how comfortable they feel pushing on casting for something. So essentially what you're asking your agent to do is say to casting, I know you've said no, but I really want you to see this actress which is a fine thing if the if the agent has a good relationship with the casting director. Sure. If the agent is building their relationship with the casting director, maybe, you know, and the difference would be if the agent has booked a lot of actors through that casting director, they've done a lot of business together, the casting director trusts the agent, yeah. and you're gonna be in a better position for that than if your agent is maybe someone who's still pitching the casting director, developing that relationship, and it's gonna vary from project to project. I mean, from, from casting director to casting director. Um, uh, so, you know, for one, your, a- your agent might be comfortable saying, dude, like, I know you said no, but she's amazing. Just look at a tape. Like I'm going to get her to put down a tape. Whereas for others, they might feel really intimidated. Um, cool. so I, um, I think if you feel really adamant, like g- you have to give a justification, you have to say, look, I know, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't want to see me for this, but, um, you know, the reason I'm exactly right for this role is this. And so it gives them a little bit more cannon fodder to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, if you really like passionately, deeply in your gut are like, this is, this is my role. I know I'm going to read for it, you know, blah, blah, blah. You could always do the self-tape and send it to your agent and just say, look, I understand that this might not be something you're comfortable forwarding, but I just wanted you to see what I could do with the role. Sure. Um, what you do with it, you know, from here is up to you, but it, you know, obviously I'm hoping you'll forward it to casting and that way it's, um, you're not putting pressure on your agent, but you're just saying, look, I'm really right for this. Now, if you, you, have an agent that isn't getting you out at all or you don't have an agent then there is room on some level especially in america to send a self-tape directly to casting if you have the casting director's email address
3: Mm -hmm. now that's
2: something that can go either way and it helps to know the casting director which is part of what we did with the casting director interview series on secret actor society because we asked them you know do you accept unsolicited self-tapes and a lot of them will say well, no, but uh, I've, I've done it in the past or sometimes they'll slip through or whatever. But some of them will be like, absolutely not. I never watch them. And then you know what that particular casting cool. director is like. You know, some of them will be like, oh, I love it when actors are proactive. And it's like, oh, okay, great. So then you have a flag in your mind. Okay, with that casting director, when they're casting a project, I can do it. Um, but again it's really tricky because if you do have an agent who's a good agent and they're doing their job right and you go around them to the casting director that looks completely unprofessional and you shouldn't yeah, do that okay. so you should only do it if you have a shitty agent or if you don't have an agent
3: yeah terrific thank you so much kim and thanks oh, for, right. for that great information before too oh thank you
2: Trudy. Thank you. appreciate
3: it thanks okay hey
2: poppy and friend <laughs> or is it, sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your- <laughs> <laughs> I just um, got put two hands away. Oh that my guess. Um, I was just wondering what your advice is on, um, like recall auditions. Recall
3: auditions?
2: Yeah, like if you, if they like what you did the first round and they want you to come back, just whether you go in with similar vein to what you did initially or something oh, new. Yes, they called you back. Sorry? Wait, you're talking about if you do a first round audition, you get a call back, do you do the same thing again? Oh, just like your advice on like the recall process. Oh, recalls. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Um, uh, do they call them recalls in New Zealand?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so
2: funny. I've never heard that.
3: Uh.
2: Okay, cool. Um, So, yeah, uh, we call them callbacks in Australia and America. We call them callbacks in Australia, right? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, do the same, wear the same outfit, do the same audition. They've brought you back because they liked what you did. If they redirected you in the room, do what they redirected you to do unless they redirected you and then said, oh, actually you did it better the first time. Um, But they've brought you back. And it was something that the casting directors we interviewed were really, really specific about um, that uh, the, you know, they hate it when an actor kind of comes back for the callback and then does a completely different performance because they're coached with someone new and the coach has changed their work. And it's like, well, we really liked what you did. We brought you back based on what you did. And now you're coming back, giving us a different product, essentially. It, it would really be frustrating for them because they'd be like, I don't, I don't get why actors do that. It would almost be confusing. So just if they like what you've done, you know, obviously hone it, you know, work on it, work to perfect it even more, but, but do what you did the first time for sure. For sure. And wear the same outfit, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Cheers. Cool. Any other questions or are we good?
1: I think you have covered
2: everything. I know it was so much stuff. Um,
1: so, actually, I want to ask a question. We are getting at Equity, we are hearing from a lot of people how frustrated they are at having to do so many self tests people people want to get back into the room yeah and so what do you suggest to people who have to do a lot of zoom or uh, rather have to do a lot of self tests they don't necessarily have a whole lot of people on hand to read with them they're not necessarily you know they're not 20 so they're not that necessarily that great with technology what do you do for that situation when you're a you know, an experienced actor, but you've had to make this huge shift into a completely different environment.
2: Well, it's kind of like not liking traffic lights because they get in the way of your driving. <laughs> you yeah. know, you can either hate them or work with them. <laughs> like, you, yeah. we don't, this isn't something we have a choice at. So, so unfortunately in a career and in life, One just has to adapt and it's, you know, human nature is that you adapt or die, really, what it comes down to. And um, we, you know, self tapes are an incredible way for actors to be seen and to control what goes on in an audition room. Um, So it's a very simple thing. It's, you know, there were only five, I think, items on my list, but really it's only 3 it's you know you need a tri- you need, well you need a tripod a phone attachment a phone a backdrop and a lighting source and that's all you need so it, it you know if 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 buying four or five you know five items really if buying five items one of which you already own is a phone a tripod a phone attachment a backdrop and a lighting source so that's a grand total of about $300 and then it's consistently the same thing. It's not changing every time. It's, you're, you're setting it up at home. It, it, to answer your question about the reader, we audition and actor trade, both have, um, you know, readers available 24 hours a day to read with people anytime. Uh, you know, I, I definitely appreciate that it feels like you're sending these tapes off into the ether and they're not getting watched. That $14 million pilot that I booked through Kirstie McGregor last year was a self-tape. And I essentially booked it off a self-tape, a series regular on an ABC network series. Our first season was going to be $75 million. And I booked it from a self-tape. And then they had me come in as a formality into the room to read opposite a bunch of celebrities so that they knew that they could prove to the network that I was better for the role than the celebrities. But it was a self-tape. And I had the same opinion. I was like, oh, another self-tape. I'm not, why would I say, I'm not gonna book a series reg off a of self-tape. I took a, a week to do that audition because I was just like, what a waste of my time. This is so dumb. I did it and I booked it. I've, I book from self-tapes all the time. I booked my guest star on SWAT last month from a self-tape. I, I, you know, I've probably out of the 60 jobs I've done, you know, a lot of them were be for self-tapes, but probably, 10 or 15 of them were self-tape bookings where I never even went in the room for a callback. So auditions, you know, they are casting people from self-tapes. Someone will get the role. It means that more actors are getting opportunities and it does also mean that we get to control the audition. So I think if they reframe it is the only choice that they have because essentially they either reframe it or they keep, You know, whinging about self tapes and then they're just they're stuck with this thing that they don't like. So they either choose to fall in love with it or, you know, it's like love the one you're with. If you're an actor and you want to audition, having self tapes is better than nothing, especially with COVID right now. And that's how the world is moving. It's it's moving into thank you, Cecily and Jenny. Um, It's moving into like this Uh, you know technological world where we do have to do self tapes but it's also this amazing freedom where you don't have to drive to the studio you don't have to get it all right in one take you don't have to you know all the prep work you can do it from the safety of your own home you don't even have to wear pants for the audition just for the slate like it's beautiful it's a beautiful thing so yeah
1: also oh sorry sorry
2: I was just going to say reframe I was just going to summarize this thing reframe
1: well I should also point out that uh the Equity uh, for Equity members, we have a self uh, testing room in uh, Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Auckland. Adelaide has opened, Brisbane, and there should be one coming up in Perth. So it's there's one there, yeah. and we also have online. If you go to our website, www.theequityfoundation.org.au, we've got a you know self test instructions you know to help. Uh, so do do keep that in mind.
2: Yeah, totally. That's great. That's great to know. And, and, you know, like I said, that backdrop thing over there is, was like, it's looks like a little gray line, but it was a hundred bucks on sale from spotlight. Like, come on, it's, you know, it's, it's a beautiful backdrop. You could put it anywhere, put it above your cupboard. We used to hang a bed sheet. Like we, this sheet that I'm sitting under right now, we hang this sometimes if we're traveling, this is all we put up. We just hang it from the, like from the top of the wall or from on the top of a curtain thing, it's, it's, it really isn't that hard. And the more you do it, the more you get used to it. And um, I think people it, it feel like it's a bigger deal than it is, but I've been doing self tapes because I've been auditioning in Louisiana for about seven years now or eight years now. And I remember when I first used to get self tapes, half the time I wouldn't send them because I'd just be like, oh, this is so dumb. What a waste of time, it's so much effort. And then I fell in love with them and it's so much better. Um, so Kate, I'll get to Christy's question first, just cause it's above yours and my brain can't retain things for too long like that. Um, so Christy Wordsworth, um, do you wanna jump on and say your question? Yeah, sure. Um, sorry, it's a, it's a bit of a, a few questions inside the question, um, but just seeking advice on appro- approaching agents. Um, I don't know if you have any input or advice on that topic. Um, you know, is, is it best to just do a short, quick sort of, you know? here's me, here's my credits. here's here's some reels, let me know if you're interested or should you sort of go into a little bit more detail about yourself upfront? Um, And then once you've sent off the email, should you phone call follow-up or just wait or follow up a week later or two weeks later? Like, do you you think that there's any right way of doing it or it's just kind of stab in the dark and see what happens? no i think it's really important i think a lot of the time uh actors will send this huge you know story of their life and um it's you know it is nice to know a little bit about uh, someone who's reaching out to you but to be concise is important and i think to personalize it i think it really needs to be look i've you know i've taken a look at your list i want to work with you uh you know i've seen that there's no other girls of my type or you know that it seems like you don't have anyone else of my type. The other girls my age were a very different look. Um, uh, something where it shows that you've researched the agency or even just, you know, are you talking, are you reaching out to Australian or American agents? Australian. Okay, cool, yeah. I have the presentation, but yeah,
0: I'm, I'm sort of...
2: Yeah, totally, totally. Um, So yeah, I mean, just to look at their books and and have an educated opinion in a sentence or two at the start of this is why I'm reaching out to you specifically because a lot of people send it like spam. Like, hi, my name's Kim, I'm looking for representation. I'm a, you know, whatever, you know, late thirties, early forties actress, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's like, it's just launched straight into talking about myself, which makes no sense. Like, hey, you know, I've heard great things about you, uh, you know, from your clients. I I love that you have a short list or I I, I love that you keep your books so specific. Uh, You know, I went through, I didn't see anyone else with my type or whatever it is that you actually honestly feel. When you when you read their thing, or you know, look them up, look them up on social, find out if they like are affiliated with a dog rescue or do something you know within charity work that's important. You know, I love seeing an agent that still contributes so much to the creative community. Um, you know, I saw your panel on whatever the fuck that sort of a thing. Um, but uh, but keep it really concise. You can do all of that in a sentence um, or two, and then yeah, I would focus on again brevity. So do talk about yourself, but not you know, to some huge extent where you're writing paragraphs and paragraphs, utilizing bullet points and um, try to keep the whole thing under like 250 words. And again, yeah, with your link to your showcast, to uh, your, your IMDb and your, your reel, um, but your most current reel should be on your IMDb anyway. Um, and then with follow-ups, uh, I don't think a phone call follow-up is good uh, immediately, especially in Australia. Uh, they're kind of weird with that stuff. I would probably say um, just do an email and then an email follow up about uh, 10, week, 10 days later. Um, and then, um, so like a week and a half later, and then another email follow up about a week after that. And then, you know, and nothing major, just the original email, send it to them again and say, hey, just following up on the email below. Hope you're having a great week. And that's it, it's the end of the follow up email and then it includes whatever you had written in the original email below. Um, I think the key is in the form for sure.
1: Okay, Kim, what about uh, you happy for me to put Jessica up? Jessica, you wanna come up?
2: Totally. Sure thing. Um, I was wondering about self tapes when emailing a self tape, um, what the email title should be. So should you put your name in the title of the email and what you're auditioning for or? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, just, you know, um, just put your name, the project, it, it, yeah, it's literally just, you know, Kim Jackson, um, Kate audition for NCIS or whatever um, is fine. Just, it's what, it, it just think, need to know, what's the information they need to know and how quickly can you write it without any words in between. Cool, thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, <there's that>. Thanks. <laughs> okay, I've got
3: Kate coming up. Hi Kim, um, just I just had a quick question. So you know how you said if a role you hear about a role going round, but your agent hasn't got you an audition for it, but they agree you can send something off. How are you meant to get a hold of the material in the first place, or do you just send something that's in the same um, style of the show?
2: Here's where it gets tricky. So in Australia, you can't really get access to the sides. Um, it, you know, the only way to really do it is. Um, if you if like a friend has an audition for it and they like will share the sides with you. In America, the sides are all posted on these public forums called Show Facts and Sides Express. And so if it's an American project, you can probably find the sides on there even if it's going through an Australian casting director. If it's an Australian project, you might be shit out of luck on that one, um, and at that point, um, you know there isn't a whole lot you can do because, yeah, it would be kind of weird. They they won't be able to use a self tape for a similar character. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really only applicable for either American projects or ones where you can get the sides from a friend.
3: All right, cool. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, totally, no worries. <laughs>
3: um,
2: and then Brett had one about weapons. Yeah, yeah
4: you mentioned, obviously, you don't take
2: weapons to an in-person audition, which is obviously absolutely fair enough. But what about for self-tapes? Uh, obviously, you're in your your comfort of your own home. If you've got a scene that has a gun or something, if you've got a, a gun, do you use it or do you still use your hand? Um, that's a very interesting question. So I think, with, I think with a gun, it would probably be okay, um, especially if it's a... Um, if you had like a fake gun that has that little orange bit on the end of it, so they know yeah. it's fake.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but just um, here, but if it's a knife, I feel like it's gonna make casting nervous because all they're gonna be doing is watching the knife. Mm. And I still think that a little bit with the gun. I still think that if you've got, um, if you've got a weapon, it's they're going to be focused on it they're going to be like is that gun real is it not it's and it takes it away from your performance so if yeah. your goal is to enhance the performance why do something that's going to take away from the performance and distract from it so you know yes it's you know it might feel really nice to have authenticity and it's nice to have the weight of the gun because obviously a fake gun isn't going to have that weight and it's a lot harder to hold steady um, if it, especially if it doesn't exist, you know, it's just kind of moving around. But um, I just think it's going to make people nervous, especially for American things. And they're also, you know, they may sit there questioning whether you would have brought the gun in person. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just, I don't know if it's worth it being such a distraction. I feel like probably you could get away with a little bit more with a gun over a knife. But again, I still just, I don't know, man. I just, I don't feel like it's really necessary. Yeah, my gut was telling me don't because it will potentially take away from the performance so you're saying that it kind of yeah solidifies that for me totally um for self-tapes i definitely think you're safer in a self-tape environment doing it than in a room but still probably just err on the side of maybe don't cool um, yeah I, I mean unless it's a really it's a really big feature like maybe you you like you know you're like aiming it at someone and then you kind of put it away and then maybe you pull it out and hit someone with it or something like maybe where it's like it's an important thing in there but against even so you can do all that without it being in your hand yeah
4: cool thank you
3: no worries
2: cool thanks I'm so
1: generous with your time kim uh honestly above and beyond so
3: thanks
1: the last chance for any questions from everyone is <laughs> But I think it was so comprehensive. There's just one last question. I'm doing oh, it now. When when, Atlas, when, is it, when is it worth turning down auditions?
2: <laughs> when the script sucks. <laughs> um are you so what in what instance would you be specifically talking about?
4: So recently I got the uh option to audition for something. It was a 21 male, I'm 30 years old, and it was a You look young,
2: though, man. I could see you reading early 20s.
4: I mean, I can.
2: You've got all that that facial hair and you still look young.
4: Oh, stop it. Now you're embarrassing (laughs) me. Uh, But I I expected that I would have been competing against 200-odd-something people for what was, I think it was a $600 corporate job. So for an hour's audition, I did the calculations and it worked out that if I was competing between 20 to 200 people, that'd be 30 to $3 worth. And for a role that wouldn't really be great for my CV or for my show or credits. So how do you calculate when you should or shouldn't go for a role?
2: I think it's, uh, thanks Jim, Um, I think it's really specific, I think it's really specific for, uh, I'm sorry, Cloud Atlas is literally like my (laughs) favourite, my favourite and so anyway, Um, (laughs) look, I think it is really specific for the actor, so for me, I won't do a slasher film, even if it's a big, like, I mean, maybe if it was Blumhouse, I might, but, um, you know, and I do read for a bit of Blumhouse stuff, um, admittedly, but, for me, I won't do a horror film usually, um, but I was just reading for what they thought was a horror film as a table read and they offered me one of the lead roles. and. Um they were like, "Well, would you ever do a horror film?" I'm like, "Well, actually, I think this is more of a sci-fi. There's no gore. It's not. It's it's more of an intelligent horror film. So I'll do it." But you know, so it's hard to have hard and fast rules because I'm always saying, "Everyone, I don't do horror films. I don't do horror films." But then, you know, three years ago, a, a script came through for a project called "Eat Brains, Love," and I was like, "I don't. You know, I just started not doing horror films," and I was like, "I'm not doing the audition. I went to turn it down." And then my agent was like, "No, just read the sides." And so I read the sides and. The sides were well, the funniest thing I'd ever written and read in my entire life. I was pissing myself laughing. So I read the full script. I requested the script, read the full script. Funniest script I'd ever read. It was so hilarious. I'm like, I need to do this film. So I end up doing the, fi- you know, I booked the role, end up doing the film. And I love the movie, it's so much fun. It's a zombie romantic comedy. I don't even know where it's been distributed. I think it's out on like Amazon Prime and like a bunch of random places. I think it had like a brief theatrical or something like, but I was so proud of it and it was so much fun and I'm really glad I did it. But that was after I'd said, I don't do horror films. Look, I think it's really specific for a corporate gig. It's not, you know, a corporate gig is gonna have zero impact on your career. So you're talking about the difference between a bread and butter job and an artistically satisfying job. And so, if you're talking about a corporate gig, you do, thanks, Corey. bye. Uh, if you're talking about a corporate gig, you're do. You you you're looking at it as this is a money job. It's kind of like a commercial, it's a money job. So looking at the statistics and doing the math on it is, is then obviously, yes, how you make that decision. What are the odds of me booking it versus the payoff of me actually getting the job? And does that then pay for the 20 other auditions I had to do to get this job? Um, And is it worth it? And what's the likelihood of me actually getting it? But if you're talking about, um, you know, if it's an unpaid short film, or even if it's a paid short film, who's the director? What's the quality of their previous work? How's the writing? Do I love the script? I mean, there's so many factors that go into it. I turn down auditions all the time. I'll turn down any project that has an excessive violence in it, just because I don't like having violence. I turned down a huge audition the other day for something that my agent was like, what are you talking about? You're turning this down. I didn't like the fact that they like killed a bunch of people in the first 20 minutes of the film. I just like, I don't know, it just made me feel very yucky. And I didn't think it was written well enough overall to justify it. If it was an amazing script and they went through and killed everyone, like a John Wick or something awesome, totally. I'm down for that. I love watching those movies. Action films are some of my favorites, but this was just stupid violence for no reason, um, just for the sake of graphic effects and gory. So I didn't want to do that. That's my personal thing. Um, I don't have any problem with nudity, for instance. A lot of actresses would, so they would say no. Um, you know, for guys, um, you know, obviously everyone's gonna have just a really specific thing for them. So I think if it's a job where you go, okay, will this move my career forward? It might be worth doing even if it doesn't pay well, or. For instance, if the role's 21, I could see you potentially, if you shaved your facial hair, maybe being able to book a younger role. But for me, I remember being 35 and reading for a character that was listed at 25 on the breakdown. And I said to my agent, I don't want to do it. My agent was like, look, it's Russell Boast, he's an amazing casting director, do the audition just for the relationship. I went and did the audition, had a great time, really enjoyed myself, ended up booking the role because it turned out she didn't need to be 25. All of the characters were 25. She wasn't actually related to them. some hot Australian chick that they pick up on the side of the road all she has to be is like fun and hippie and crazy and silly and and so I ended up doing that because of the fact that they were like she could be a few years older as long as she's someone who you could believe these 25 year olds would fall in love with. And so it made sense. And so I would have turned down that audition and I wouldn't have booked that job. And I had the best time shooting it. We got to travel all through America on this massive road trip. Our trailer was an actual RV that we all got to travel around on. It was an amazing time. That was an audition I almost said no to. So again, just um, there's so many different factors to weigh up but I think you probably made the right call on a corporate gig for 600 bucks. Like, yeah, (laughs) no.
4: Great, thank you. And a quick follow-up is I've got my US reel and all that jazz together. What's my first step for stepping into the U.S. market?
2: Oh, uh, make a full list of managers. Oh, I wonder if I have it listed on Secret Actor Society. I, I, I have a list of like every manager in the United States um, and according to like the quality of their client list. I don't know if it's in the resources section of Secret Actor Society or not. If for some reason you join and, and it's not in there, just email me and I should add it in there. That's like something that should be on my to-do list. But um, basically I would go through every single manager and management company in the United States I um, start taking a look and especially what I would do is find out shows that you feel you would be a good fit for. Have a look at the people who've played guest roles or smaller characters on those shows. See who they're represented by and you'll start seeing agents and managers names coming up. There's about 900 decent managers in America, especially in LA, and there's about 100 decent agencies. So I would go for a manager first because that's going to be a lot of a lot, much easier target. And if you start priming them now, maybe they can do like a Zoom meeting with you or whatever. Um, But just get that list together, figure out who you're going to target and why. Make sure you go through the list and double check that nobody else looks like you. And then when you are ready and you kind of have a travel date or whatever, start emailing them about a month before your travel date.
4: Great. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, no worries. But yeah, do managers first. And then once you're out there, you can maybe talk to your manager about who they share clients with and figure out an agent from there. But don't let a manager ever tell you not to get an agent. It's fucking bullshit. They'll say, oh, you don't need an agent. You're good. You've got me. They can go fuck themselves because their relationships are completely different from the relationships that an agent has with casting. You don't know who an agent might've been drunk at can with 20 years ago and can get you in the room every time. So you want as many people in your team as possible. And an agent and a manager, it's like having two agents, like having an extension of your own network. There's three circles. There's your your relationships, your agent's relationships, and your and your manager's relationships. And it's that set of three circles that gets you into rooms. So you need that third circle. It's always really, really important. Cheers, Benji bye. Um, uh So yeah. Anyway, that's that.
4: Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs>
2: cool. Cheers. Atlas. A few more. A few
1: more have come in. Kim, yeah. Here is Will. Yes. Hello. Uh, hi, Kim. Um, Oh, firstly, thanks so much. This has been a really great session.
2: Oh, cheers, no worries.
1: Um, my question was just on we've been hearing a lot about um US projects shooting in Australia and the the opportunities that are going to come for the for the local actors and crew. Um would you have any tips on resources to find out kind of what those projects are oh, absolutely. Um, with a view to sort of like, you know, getting yourself seen for for some roles?
2: Yeah, definitely go to the Screen Australia website and they have a listing of different projects that are um, you know, coming and that are in pre-production development that have been approved through Screen Australia. Um, they also have a listing, like a production listing of, of um, foreign and local productions. So you can kind of get a feel for what's out there. Look at the project name and then go over to IMDb Pro, look up who the casting director attached to it is and you can figure out kind of who the people are. And then I would do, again, like I'm obsessed with casting workshops, just go like, even TAFTA is like, it's expensive, but it has like this this casting workshop where you meet like 10 different casting directors, like do things where you get to act in front of the casting director, not just ask them questions if you can. Um, And then, build that network over time you know just keep seeing the casting directors until they know you and trust you and really work that american accent make sure that you have footage with american accent so they can share that when they're pitching you um because that's what's going to kind of get you in the rooms because that's their biggest fear is just not being able to find talented actors that can do american accent in a local higher market
1: it's awesome thank you very much
2: yeah it is yes Screen australia do it and also oh also imdb has a pre-projects pre-produ- in pre-production and you can do it by location, but I was on it the other day and it doesn't show a lot of the bigger ones that you want to know. So I think Screen Australia is probably the best bet. Thanks. Cheers. Hello, <laughs> I'm multi here. Cool, so uh, t- tell me your question.
0: So um, often when I do an audition, um, especially lately because it's all like at home and online, they're asking me apart from my self-tape to send in a copy of my profile with the show reel included. And I just wanted to know what's the best thing to do with the um, show reel? Is it better to like keep branding yourself or to have uh, a showreel with say four genres of drama, comedy, romance? Do you know what's the best way? to do that give them a versatile all-rounder or stick to a strong brand or just have the show rule that you always have there push it along with that audition like what would you recommend you know make it more tasteful towards the scene or do you think regardless they might just want to see other facets of you what's the best way to go in general and for the audition
2: That's a great question. Look, in in America on Actors Access, we have specific clips where instead of putting up an entire show reel, we'll just put up a clip that is like, you know, white trash and I play elegant, sophisticated. So I will tend to have different clips from different projects that are quite specific. It'll say detective, Russian guy, nurse, whatever. Um, But then I also have my full reel as an available thing if people want to watch it for the thing that they're casting right now. But then if you're cutting them into a showreel, you can, for me on my showreel, I have the full gamut of all of my roles, but I am actually even thinking of separating it into basically pretty and ugly because I played two um, less attractive characters, Um, not that men aren't very attractive, um, but my (laughs) my version of these like tough ass chicks with no makeup and blah, blah, blah. And then I have my very like more girly with my hair done and my makeup done and all that. I would say, yeah, try to separate the clips if you can as an option, but then have a full show reel as well. I do think it's extremely helpful to separate comedy and drama. I don't think romance really comes into it as a separate genre. um, So I think just comedy and drama is probably your best split on that stuff you know if you do want to make a reel because you have a bunch of like biker chicks or whatever um you know or that kind of hard ass kind of chick more gritty fit really well in the drama because it's all still a similar essence um
0: I know the lines are always not completely clear with all that stuff hey it's like well do I do more grit as drama or do I do like the doctor saving the patient as drama <laughs> do you know what I mean
2: well I mean really it's all it's all drama and it's all acting and everyone can kind of tell that there's um talent there and they know if you can play those two roles you can probably play this other role um but with you know the difference with comedy is obviously they're seeing a completely different genre and a lot of the comedy acting you know we go over the top or we're not really connected as much as we are in the dramatic work so you do want to show them what they need yeah and same goes for comedic if they're casting a comedy you know obviously drama is a lot easier than comedy and so you know if you're casting a comedy you need to show that you can do comedy in a separate reel yeah. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> sure, cheers.
1: Now, I think that is actually the, <laughs> uh, the the end of it. Above and beyond, Kim, that was absolutely fabulous. Of course, uh, we are very lucky to get such a, a just a sample of all that, that you know, Kim. And so I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. So on much. behalf of
1: everyone, I re- really appreciate it.
2: Thank you.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much.